All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 10 through 14. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If I can pause right here. I just want to clear up. This is one of those misquoted scriptures. We say money is the root of all evil. That's not true. That's not what the Word of God says. What does it say? The love of money. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Uh, and, and some longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves for many griefs. E- uh, money is not evil. It's the love of it. It's when it becomes disproportionate in our life. Um, we need money. You know, money is, is good, but it's when it takes an ungodly hold in our lives and our desire for it is greater than our desire for God or our desire for relationship and desire for other things. So money's not bad, but the love of it is. So I want to read that last part again. Um, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, I want to point something out to you here. In this passage, um, God is speaking to us and right away he gives an indication of how he feels about us of how he sees us. He says, man of God. And then he proceeds to give direction. He, it's not just the pastors that he's talking to. In this in this specific example, um, he is speaking to Timothy, who is a pastor, but God included it in his sovereignty, included it in his word, in the Bible, so that we could all grow from it. Too often, we look at ourselves and we don't see the fullness of the destiny that God has for us. He looks at us and he says, woman of God, man of God. He sees us in that completed state. He knows what he has for us. You know, last week I read Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good uh, and a future and a hope to prosper you, not for harm. So God sees us and my encouragement to us is this. When he calls us man of God, when he calls us woman of God, who are we to disagree with him? He has things that he wants to use us in. Um, and he sees us as his. He's daddy. We're, you know, we're, I'm his boy. You know, that's his girl. You know, we are his. And he looks at us and says, you are mine. I want us to notice the words that Paul uses in this passage. Paul uses active and forceful verbs. In preparing for this message, I'm like, oh man, this is going to be one of those where, you know, it, I'm going to bring it tonight. It's, it's going it's to be strong. Because Paul's strong here. The verbs he chooses to use are active. They are action. They are forceful. Women, I, I want to encourage you guys. You know, men, we don't have, you know, we didn't corner the market on on being bold. We didn't corner the market on being on being strong. 
You are bold. You are strong. God wants to, you know, use every bit of your personality, every bit of gentleness, every bit of love and compassion, but also wants to use you with strength and with confidence. So um, I, I, I want to just throw that out there because I think the men will easily grasp this. But women, this, this is just as much for you. The words that Paul uses, flee or run, pursue, fight, take hold, or to hold tightly. Some people think that Christianity is a passive religion that advocates waiting on God. I'm just going to wait on God, just going to wait on God, just going to wait for Him. You know what? We are called to wait in faith. And we are called to, to be patient. But we are called to be active in our pursuit of God. We are not called to just sit around passively waiting and thinking that our faith will grow in the midst of that. That is ridiculous and it's not scriptural. We even you know, use passages, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You know, They shall rise up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. People, there's verbs there. Run, rise up. Walk. There's action there. Yeah, I know it starts off with the day that waits. But look at it this way. You know, you're you're at the starting gate. You know, you're you know, you're getting ready. You know, at that moment you're waiting. And then you get down in your stance and you hear that gun and you take off. And you are no longer waiting. Waiting should not be the defining characteristic of Christians. It should be action. We must have action faith. If we don't have active faith, why in the world would anyone outside there think that what we have is legitimate and real? If it, if it doesn't move us to action, why, why would any observer who says, I just want to see what these guys are all about, I just want to see if they're genuine, because everybody wants to see something that's genuine. If action doesn't follow our belief, we won't be able to convince ourselves, much less anybody outside those walls, Right? The answer is right. That's a totally valid point. The answer is yes. That's correct. That's all right. We must have active faith, training, working hard, sacrificing, and doing what we know is right. We must put our faith into action. It is not enough to sit back on our butts waiting for God to move. God honors decisive action, period. God honors faith-filled, decisive action. See, too often, Christians, we, did, we didn't do anything because we're like, I don't want to step out of God's will. So instead, we stayed on our butts and did nothing because we didn't step, want to step out of His will. But it's like, no, if, if I know the heart of my Father and I know that He wants me to go and to do and to be, and I, I know my father. I'm not worried about him getting angry at me. I'm not worried about stepping out of his will because I hear from him. And if he's like, ah, oh, you're, you're heading, you know, northeast, just turn a little this way. There we go. Now you're good. Keep going down that path. It's going to get rocky, but keep, keep going. We're called to do stuff. We need to put a stop to doing nothing and calling it patience and faith. 
Isn't that ridiculous? I mean, you guys, God gave us a brain. We sit and do nothing and we, we write it off as, as being faith and patience. No! Get out there and do. Get out there and do. And I see it. And what, <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm just fired up. So this is all. Woo! James chapter 2 says this. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless. Faith that we are not willing to put into action is worthless. Faith that we're not willing to put into action is worthless. I mean that wholeheartedly. Belief that we have that we're not willing to share is what effect does it have? Convictions that we have that we're not willing to share. What results does it bring? Let's just even talk about, let's even just kind of set aside the things we're doing for the Lord because I talked about honor and integrity and character. Evil wins when good men do and say nothing. When we see that wrong is being done and we sit by quietly and do and say nothing, that's a type of evil. We, we cannot be complacent. We cannot sit there and wait for God to call someone who we think is going to be more equipped than us. Lord, I want this to be done. I want someone to be touched. I want someone to be healed. I want someone to be impacted. But Lord, I'm just not, I'm just not fit to do it. Well, then who is? Well, then who is fit to do it? Who, who does he call? I say it time and time again. I'm not a theologian. I'm a graphic designer. He called a graphic designer to pastor this church. Why? Because I love him and I'm willing to get up and be passionate about him and point people to Jesus. If not you, then who? If not you, then who? What makes you less qualified than the person next to you? We shouldn't let things prevent us from being used of God. Sitting around waiting on the Lord, don't cut it. God honors decisive action. We're going to run into walls. We're going to run into obstacles. I love when Paul went on his, uh, he went to go revisit the churches in Asia and was trying to get into Asia. And, and he just ran into obstacles, went to you know, this first port to get in, couldn't get in. He didn't let it stop him. So he goes to, to another route, tries to get in. Once again, he couldn't get in, and you know, many believe sickness prevented him. He never stopped. He kept going and kept going. Now, ultimately, he ended up in a totally different area, but encouraging a group of believers, a church there that was, that was led by women. 
There were no men. There were no men there that were pointing people to Jesus. And so Paul went there and helped establish a church in a gateway city between uh, Europe and <laughs> somewhere else to Europe. I don't think it was Europe and Asia. It might have been Europe and Asia. I don't know. I'm not going to fake it. I, I don't remember. We don't let obstacles slow us down. We don't let the walls and and different things keep us from doing what God has. You guys, we, we have difficulties. No one is exempt. Christians aren't exempt. Pastors aren't exempt. No one's exempt. What do we do in the midst of those difficulties? How do we press through? What do we cling to? What do we pursue? I want to read that passage in 1 Timothy 6 again. So verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God. So flee from what things? You know, we saw in the previous verse, we're to flee from all sorts of evil that leads to many griefs. Is that unreasonable? Let's really think about that. We're to flee from all sorts of evil that leads to all sorts of grief. God wants to protect us. Why is he saying flee from evil? Because I know what it leads to. It leads to hurt. It leads to grief. It leads to brokenheartedness. So God says, flee from that. And in the midst, you know, you and I come into agreement and I get to keep you from harm. I get to keep you from some grief. And he says, flee to what? Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So what are we pursuing? Righteousness. What is righteousness? Plain and simple. Righteousness is integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. That's the definition of that Greek word that's written there. Integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. So what are these things? Character. Once again, character. This ain't rocket science. This is so easy. God just lays it out there and he's like, I haven't even gotten to the spiritual part yet. I just want you to pursue character. I just want you to pursue integrity. See, he can't use, when we walk in a lack of integrity or a lack of honor, he can't use that. What happens I walk in a lack of integrity? What happens I get up here and say what, what we're supposed to do and I live a different life and I don't do that? What's the result of that? What's the result of that lifestyle of dishonor? Hurt, pain for you, for me, for, for the church, for the community. So first and foremost, God's always saying, walk in honor, walk in integrity, walk in character. What you say you're going to do, do. Be the man that, that I've called you to be. Be the woman that I've called you to be. Walk with honor. Let your yeses be yes and let your noes be no. I, the next thing that we're to pursue, that we're to run to, is godliness. How cool is it that the first thing he says is character? Even before he gets to godliness, the first thing he says is pursue character. You know why? Because God doesn't want a bunch of flaky, ill-reputed, lack of integrity people. Now that's not talking about being perfect. Own own your mistakes. <laughs> you know, that's that's what it means. I'm not perfect. On the way to church, I pulled over. There was a woman crossing the street, and I just 
I, I punched her. I mean, that's totally brutal, right? That's totally, you know. It's not nice. And listen, honey, I did not do that. I promise you, I, I didn't. I didn't do that. So, but you see the point. Our faults don't define us if we're the ones that bring it to the light and say, Lord, here it is. Just, Lord, I screwed up again. I just need your grace. And I need you to work on me. But when we try and hide it, when we try and tuck it away, and we're like, no, no, I can't let people see that I'm flawed, that's when we lack honor. We're flawed. Is there anyone here that's perfect? The closest person in this room to being perfect is probably my mom. And she has plenty of mistakes and flaws. We own our mistakes and we give them to God. And then guess what? We don't own them no more. He does. We pursue godliness, reverence, respect, and honor towards God. We pursue having a heart and a mind that respects and honors God. Let me just throw this out there, guys. What if we just made a decision that we weren't going to quietly and idly sit by and not speak up when people are dishonored. I don't care about the situation. If there's a you know, a teenage boy being dishonorable to a woman, what if we said, hey, come on, come on, buddy. What if it's a child talking back to a mother? Hey, boy, that's your mama. You can talk back to her. I've done that, by the way. It's awesome. It is awesome. It's like the Jedi mind trick. No, no, we don't do that. You don't talk to your mom that way. You tell your mom you're sorry. The mom's like, I don't know you. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. Your son's just, you know. I don't know. I'm a, I'm unique. I'm not saying this right either. I'm not saying it's wrong. I don't know. We just, it's all right though. But what if we, we just made a commitment that we were going to be so intent on honoring God that we weren't going to just stand by quietly when people badmouthed Jesus Christ and our Father. And we're not going to be jerks about it. We're just going to go, oh, man, I'm sorry, you don't know the Jesus I know. Because if you did, you, you wouldn't speak that way of him. You, you just, you must not know him, and that's okay. And maybe, you know, if you've got time, let's grab coffee. And I'll tell you who he is to me, but he's not the one that, that you're speaking of because he's good. And the things he has for you is good. And it's not heavy-handed. He's loving. We're to pursue godliness. We're to pursue faith. What is faith? Let me just simplify it here. We pursue relating to Jesus Christ. And we pursue faithfulness. We pursue love. That word love there. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love. That word love is brotherly love. We are to pursue one another in relationship. We're to be in relationship with one another. None of us are supposed to walk this alone. So in doing so, we tear down the walls that society has put in place of discrimination or of cliques or of social standards and we just say family family this is my crazy uncle mike he's family you know family 
We don't all have to be best friends. But we've got we've to be committed. There's got to be a level of commitment to one another, and we've got to pursue one another. We've got to pursue relationship. And I understand what that means. That, that means I've got to be vulnerable. But you don't understand. I've been hurt. I've been hurt. I've pursued relationship, and I've been disappointed, and I've been stabbed in the back, and I've been talked about. And I've been, you know what? I've pursued these relationships in church. And I've been stabbed in the back and slandered and by church people, by, by pastors. Well, welcome to the club. We don't have a handshake. You know, we don't have a membership form. But we've all been there and done that. Uh, what's, what's the alternative? To quit? Is that the alternative? To stop? To stop going to church? To stop pursuing relationship with people? Because we've been hurt? Because we've been wounded? No. We press on. Look at these words. And look at these things that we're called to pursue. After love, what is it? Endurance. How cool is that? We're to pursue endurance. Now, I don't know exactly how we pursue endurance except to pursue Jesus. You know, I, I really don't have a, a, an awesome answer for how I pursue endurance. I just know I can't sit and wait for it to come and, and land on my lap. I've got to pursue endurance. Anyone ever get tired? Just stinking tired. You ever get weary? We pursue endurance. We pursue Jesus, asking for endurance. Jesus, I need some endurance. I'm running the race, but I feel like I'm lagging behind, and I feel like I'm losing. I'm stumbling. I'm getting up, but I need some endurance. So here you go, Jesus. We pursue Him. We pursue endurance. We pursue gentleness. Gentleness doesn't just come naturally to most of us. Now, yeah, I, I know there's probably a couple guys that are gentle, but I, you know, I'm looking around and most of the women are probably pretty gentle. And they're like, it's so easy to be gentle. You know, not for not for most of us. We got to pursue gentleness. It is it is a it is a purposing in our heart. I'm not going to be abrasive. I'm pursuing gentleness. How can I be abrasive if I'm pursuing gentleness? I probably need to keep that in mind next time my kid in the, in the grocery store is like, you know, talking back to his mom. Okay. Lord, I'm pursuing gentleness. I know it's, it's a different way of thinking because a lot of times we just sit back and think God will just drop these in our laps. But we have to pursue Jesus. And in doing so, He has these things for us. We are to have a desperate pursuit of these things. Verse 12. We are to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I love these words. It's a fight. You know, I talked about we've all been hurt. We've all been wounded, right? We keep on fighting. We don't quit. You know, I, I'm looking around and what, at what point that I step on your toes or that I don't live up to your expectations, you know, what's that point? What's that point where you will quit and say, time for me to give up on 
God, give up on church, give up on whatever. Because we all have a different level. But once again, we are, we are in relationship. We are committed to fight the good fight. And it is a good fight. It is a good fight. We are fighting for a good cause. The cause of Jesus Christ. You know, we're in election season. And so, you know, there's so much passion on, you know, no matter who you're voting for, there's so much passion. And there's so much belief. And there's so much hope. Because you're like, I, I believe in these causes. I believe in this. And so we fight for it. And, and I mean that literally. Offices, every day, there are fights. In donkeys and elephants, every day. Guys, the cause of Jesus Christ is so much better than the cause of politics. What do I want in a president? Uh, character, godliness, pursuit of love. Those are the things. I mean, when push comes to shove. What do we what do we expect and what do we want and what do we cling to in the in the relationships we have with one another? It starts with integrity, it starts with character. And very next is godliness. We better be pursuing God. We are to take hold of the eternal life to which we're called. My friends, if I can just be even more direct than I've been, we need to stop blaming the devil for our character flaws and take hold of the good life God has given us. It is your relationship with God. It is your relationship with God. That's what's cool about it. It is unique to you and God. And it doesn't have to be molded into, into anyone else's relationship. My relationship with my wife is unique to us. My relationship with my friends. It's unique to us. My relationship with God is unique to us. But for it to be a relationship, there's, there's got to be commitment. There's got to be effort. There's got to be belief and trust and affection. And yes, I'm talking about God. And there has to be pursuit. I would have never won this beauty right here if I didn't pursue her. There's got to be pursuit. And I promise you this, my friends, God has been pursuing us. And the natural response is to open our arms and run back to him. You know that scene where everyone's on the beach and this you know, person's running this way and this and then they're running that way and, <laughs> and they they meet together. And, you know, they don't fall to the ground, but they should, because if you're running that fast, that's just dangerous. That's just <laughs> closing question is it time for action on your part is it time for action on your part I love this passage and I love that Paul uses all these action verbs is it time for some action on your part are there some things that you need to do is there a response that you need to have and once again 
Personalize this, people. This is not a generic call. Personalize it. Take ownership of it. Is there something you need to do? Some action in your life that's needed? What are some of those actions? Is there repentance that's needed? And I love repentance. Repentance is good. Repentance is not this emotional plea where we run to the front and the word repent is translated as this, to change our mind. To come to agreement with God. That says, I thought this, so my actions followed my thoughts, right? Since if I'm thinking, my actions follow. I thought this, and then I saw what God thought about the matter. And I changed my mind. That's repentance. And I changed my mind and I said, okay, I believe you. I believe you. I agree with what you think about this. So is repentance an action that's needed? Is forgiveness an action that's needed? You know what? If we're called to be in relationship with one another and we're holding grudges and offenses, is forgiveness your call to action? Hey, my friends, once again, forgiveness is this right here. We think forgiveness is about us and the person that hurt us. No, forgiveness is right here. It's God, I don't want anything between you and I, so I forgive her. Lord, I don't want anything between you and I. I don't want any wall. You have no lid on my heart, so I forgive him so that there's nothing between us. That's forgiveness, and it's a choice. There's times when I've been hurt the deepest, that choice is a daily choice because I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I don't feel it because it's not an emotional choice. Okay? It is not an emotional thing. We don't do it when we feel it. We do it as an act of my will. I forgive that person. And the next morning I wake up mad at that person. I'm like, by golly, I forgive that person again. The next morning I forgive that person. The next morning I forgive that person. I promise you if, you, if you do it by faith, at some point you're like, Lord, I really do forgive that person and I Lord, I ask you to heal that person I know they get you know there's some things I did to them too so Lord bring healing to them and then it turns to Lord I should have blessed them Lord God Lord, bless them water under the bridge Lord bless that person I forgive them you see how it, how it goes but it's got to start with an act of our will it's got to start with action we can't sit and wait for God to move upon our hearts and do some magical thing with rainbows and unicorns that's not the way he moves. He works in response to our obeying him. Being a Christian, like being an athlete, requires training. And it requires sacrifice. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking anything else. It requires a, a swallowing of pride. It requires, and as Americans, we don't like this. Well, we won't like this, but it requires a surrendering of our right to be right. You know what? I don't care if I'm right as long as God's right. I don't care if I'm right as long as God's right. When Karen and I are arguing, we pray and we say, Lord, I don't want to be right. And I know my wife's heart. She doesn't want to be right. Lord, we want you to be right. So Lord, be right. Let us know what we need to do, but Lord, uh, we want you to be right. My friends, that has to be our heart. Too often, man, we stand on our stances. We soapbox. We all got them. You know we all got them. We all got our soapboxes. And we want to be right. By golly, we're right. 
It's a social injustice and we're right. Well, we all think we're right. I want God to be right. Because I trust Him, because I know His heart, I know His love. It's genuine, it's pure. My love is flawed. But at least I keep running to Him. Being a Christian requires work. Otherwise, it's no faith at all. Being a Christian requires work. Otherwise, it is no sort of faith at all. Don't say I'm a man or a woman of faith if you aren't willing to work. Because the, the word says in James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. Faith that does not work is useless. It requires work. Our discipline to put our faith into action and our obedience to follow God and His plan largely define whether or not we will be contributors or merely spectators in our faith. So my friends, what are we going to be in our faith? We're going to be spectators? We're going to be on the sideline, on the bench, watching, critiquing, judging? I would have ran that play different. Right? We're going to be in the game. In the game. Fighting, working. Yeah, I know it's cliche, but it fits. How would other believers rank your contributing role on Jesus' team? Just a couple things to generate thought, to generate prayer, to generate heart. You guys, you know me, and I. I don't do well on the sidelines. I don't care what we're playing. You're not going to find me on the sidelines. You're going to find me in the game. Succeeding, failing, but dang it, trying. Fighting, right? Winning, losing, playing, doing something. We are called to be a people of action. We are called to be a people of action. If you're here tonight and you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you have, you have been convinced in your heart that He is real and you've given your life to Him and said, you're not just Savior, you're Lord, you're the boss. You get your way in my life. You might not get your way every way in the world. And let me just go ahead and throw that out there also. I said it last week. God doesn't always get His way. Okay? He does not always get His way. The Bible says he desires that not one would be lost and people die every day and don't know Jesus. God does not get his way plenty of times. What took place in Westminster, Colorado and in our community with that little girl, God did not get his way. That was not his plan. That was not his will. He did not get his way. But what I say last week, he gets his way right here. He gets his way with me. When it comes to my life, you know, out there, you know, there's sin. And, and he gives us free will and People choose wrong all the time, but when it comes to me, I'm going to choose right. He gets his way in my life because he is the Lord of my life because he's the boss. He's my king. He is my perfect king. So if you've made him your king, the call to action is action. Do something. Pursue him. Don't just say you believe it. Demonstrate you believe it. 